When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. Our show today is awesome because we tackle questions about GoFundMe fatigue, not taking single friends for granted, taking pride in your appearance. And we look at some new territory in our Postscript segment where we hear from members of the electric vehicle community. That's all coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning, and we're from the Emily Post Institute. Lizzie Post, you had a night at the museum. I did. However, no no monkeys came to life and, and no no dinosaurs and, and no none of our historical figures. Teddy Roosevelt wasn't no. uh, walking around <laughs> guiding you through history? No, Rob, Robin Williams did not come back, unfortunately. However, I did have a night at the Smithsonian. And, and I'm so curious to hear about it. Pardon the interruption, no, but we haven't okay. had a chance to download yet, so I'm really curious. We haven't. I was really fortunate to get to go speak on a panel at the Smithsonian with Carolyn Hacks. Uh, she's a wonderful columnist. And uh, Stephen Petro, who we've had on this show. He's another uh, advice columnist, etiquette expert. It was really cool to get to be on a panel with these two. First of all, it was incredibly fun. Stephen brought a lot of humor to it. And I really love that because when you go and you're talking about civility in America, people often they're feeling aggrieved for all these these incivil acts that they're seeing and to begin with. And so to find a way to make it light and fun, I thought was really smart on Stephen's part. He was sort of, he was moderating the mm-hmm. the panel and and kind of guiding us along. And it was really great. I loved hearing Carolyn's perspective on millennials, and I'm really hoping that that our schedules are going to work out and we're going to be able to get her on for a postscript segment to talk about millennials. Oh, that'd be nice. No, it is. It's They're a really incredible group that I think sometimes get a little bit of a bad rep, but also have all these amazing positive qualities. So I'm really excited for that future conversation. But I loved getting to sit with my peers in our field and talk about the state of civility in America. And Dan and I know that we both love talking about it because we actually believe America is more civil than people give it credit or than how it feels. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there are real issues that we face. And we do have this whole, you know, electronic tech age that we're living in that, that make it harder and that make it something we have to focus more on. And it was really exciting to get to be there having this conversation in front of a good 150 people. Well, and 
and I'm curious, yeah. tell me a little bit about the venue. Okay. So it took place in D.C. We were in the Smithsonian Ripley Center, and there was a wonderful lecture hall, and, and the three of us were up on stage, and it was so cool. They have patrons that are coming in to support these types of programs, and everyone was really active and interested. There were a lot of hands going up, a lot of nods and laughs from the audience. You know how much I love it when etiquette doesn't have to be stuffy, and when mm-hmm. we're talking about civility and people can enjoy the humor in it because there is a lot of humor in it, even though it's a very real issue. Well, oftentimes that humor helps us find that best self that we're really trying to find so often when we're talking about etiquette or expected behaviors. And I loved getting to hear the perspectives of these other experts that are in our field that do very similar things to what we do, because it's always good to broaden that and and your idea of, of how people look at this thing that you talk about every single day. I am really glad to hear it went well. I was a little bit jealous when I first heard about this one. I love um, that whole scene in downtown D.C. I love the Smithsonian. I love the network of museums and public places that really make our capital such a special place. And yes, I will confess to a little bit of jealousy that you got to go be a part of that recently because it is such a treat. Well, I appreciate it. I was thinking of you much while I was up on that stage delivering a lot of the things we talk about here on Awesome Etiquette. Well, Lizzie Post, thank you for returning to us. (laughs) Now, shall we answer some questions? I would love to. You mean that's all there is, just what we've talked about? Oh, no. You can learn still more by watching Mother, Dad, and other people who have good men. On each and every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or give us a call at 802-866-0860. And that is just what Carmen did with her question that's titled, I don't want to guess who's coming for dinner. I am having a small gathering and one of my guests requested who else has been invited. I was annoyed and I thought, it inappropriate that they should request who else is being invited. And I just wanted to know if I am correct in feeling annoyed and thinking that it's inappropriate. Thank you. Carmen, thank you for your question. This is an etiquette classic. Totally. We've been hearing from people how much they like coming to the show to review some classic etiquette. And I really appreciate a question like this that lets us nail down a point of etiquette that is really important and has been important for a long time. When you receive an invitation, you're meant to respond to that invitation and respond to the host. Your reply should not be based on who else is coming to the event. It should be based on your relationship with the person who's doing the asking. And you really want to keep the focus there. It can be tempting to inquire, to try to find out more about the event that you've been invited to. But in some ways, that's questioning the host. Well, the the trouble with this one, Dan, is that when you ask, so who else is going to be there? You're imp- especially before you've actually said yes or no, you're implying that the guest list is more important to you than the event the host is hosting. And the event is really the important thing. You should trust that you're going to have a good time, even if you don't know any there. Exactly. So you don't inquire about who else is coming. There's a tech version of this question oh, yeah? that I think has made this this question uh, relevant again, which is that oftentimes when you get an evite, the, oh, the yeah. group page that you land on when you go to find out more about the event will show who's been invited, who's responded, who's said yes, who's said maybe. And I think this sort of open forum has given some people the idea that it's really OK to base your acceptance of an invitation based on this information. It's not 
necessarily true. It doesn't work the same way in person. And you definitely um, run the risk of giving offense in the same way that Carmen felt offended when her friend asked her who else is coming before replying to that invitation. Now, I have to say one kind of caveat is is that when you have a group that gets together regular, I'm thinking of my girlfriends. We hang out a lot and it's not uncommon for us to say, oh, is Natty coming? Is, is Karen coming? Is Marisa coming? You know, who else are we doing this with? Or to let each other know, hey, tonight, tonight, I was thinking might just be the three of us or the two of us. Because sometimes when you hang out with a big group, you don't always want to hang out with the whole group. And those kind of conversations are okay when you're setting something up. But when someone's really inviting you to a dinner or a party, those are times when you don't inquire those kinds of questions. Thank you for that elaboration, because I was I was about to ask, so how do you know the difference? How do you right. know when it's okay to say, well, what kind of event is this? Or... Um, when you might give offense by asking that kind of a question. I love the distinction there of whether it's a group of friends organizing something collectively, talking about what they want to do versus actually receiving an invitation to a planned party. One other thing that this makes me think of is that if you've already replied yes that you plan to attend, then you're in the clear to ask for more information about what's going on because you're just trying to figure out how to best prepare yourself to be a good guest. And, you know, don't then change your your RSVP to know if maybe your not favorite person happens to be on that guest list. But those are things that do need to be handled delicately between friends. And typically it's something that you would only do with really close friends with whom you entertain with often. Carmen, thank you so much for the question. We hope the party goes really well. I like our next question because it's about bridal blues needing to be gone. Hey, Lizzie and Dan, I'm recently engaged, and both my future husband and myself are pretty introverted and private. We're also taking our time planning as we want to enjoy being engaged and enjoy the planning, not rush and stress over every detail. Mine will be the first wedding in my circle of friends, as well as the first wedding in my generation of my side of the family. Needless to say, everyone is excited. The problem arises when certain friends and family get so overly excited. They want to know every detail now, or they just flat out tell me what I should be doing. For example, after telling my aunt we were thinking sometime in the summer for a wedding date, she told me that I had better think about my guests, not just myself, and we would all be sweating our arses off, her words, not mine. Lizzie's famous sample language has proved extremely useful, but I'm afraid I'll need some more, let's call it backup. My go-to phrases are, we really just haven't got that far into the planning yet. Or, oh, that's an interesting idea. I'll keep it in mind. But as you guys have suggested, I'm trying to remember to love every idea for five minutes. These phrases have worked pretty well, but I fear that as time goes on, people will press more. How can my fiancé and I politely but firmly let people know that we are taking our time and set healthy boundaries with people who simply don't like our ideas or want to just plan things for us? Jackie. Oh, Jackie, it is so understandable that you are overwhelmed. And it's also understandable that your family and friends are so excited. It's a big deal. This is this is a first and people do get really into it. And probably a lot of your friends want to live through you in this moment. And a lot of your family members are just so excited to have something to celebrate. 
every bride deals with information overload at some point. And it sounds like you actually are using all the first things that I would say. You are doing the love every idea for five minutes. You're doing the positive noncommittal responses. Oh, that's something to think about. What an interesting idea. I'll have to run it by Kyle. I'll remember that when we get to the dressmakers. Thank you. Um, But I also want to encourage you to add this third level that you're asking for, and that's decline the conversation. I wish I could share more, but we just haven't made any decisions yet. Or I'm dying to not talk about the wedding for a little bit. You're going to be talking about this wedding for like a year, especially if you have a long engagement. So it's okay for you to say, hey, guys, I'm really excited. I'm glad you are, too. But I don't want to talk about the wedding right now. And that's a perfectly fine thing to be able to do. I I think of them as honest, simple truths. And it's okay to share an honest, simple truth. It is. I'm feeling overloaded. Thank you for thinking of me. I really don't have time to think about that right now. And the difference is to not say, I don't want to talk about that. Like, it's a burden. But to keep that smile on your face and say, oh, I'm dying for a break from the wedding. This would be great. Thanks. (laughs) I think one of the harder ones is when people are just offering that information or you're getting closer to the wedding and they're asking for more details. And for that particular scenario, I because you are going to have certain things set. You can only do the we haven't made decisions yet for so long. Then people know you've made decisions, especially once the invitations have gone out. It's important to feel confident saying to someone, well, if I tell you everything now. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. 
it won't be a fun surprise once you get there. And that's a good deflection one. That's a good one one where, you know, you're not trying to say, I don't want to share. I want it to all be secretive. You're just saying, well, if I share it all now, it won't be an experience once you get there. And I think that's a good a good go to. You can also just express to people that you're really hoping to talk to them about their lives. Mm -hmm. Another thought that occurred to me just as I was listening to Lizzie talk is some people really have ideas and plans for their weddings that have been their ideas and plans for their weddings forever. I've been dreaming about this since I was a little girl, and that's really the way I plan to do it. Sometimes being prepared with a few simple details that are already set can be enough to redeflect that conversation, to let someone else know that you've got it, you're in charge, you've made some plans, and you're happy with them. And that can also be enough if you can share that joy sometimes to start to redirect that conversation into territory that you're happier with. Well, and you're reminding me that you're right, especially in this circle of friends where she's the first one getting married— All her other friends, as we mentioned, are going to do the live vicariously through you thing. Use that to your advantage and turn the conversation into, well, what would you do? What would you want? And not so much to ask to get the idea for your own wedding, but to allow them to entertain that dream and put that thought that they have out into the world. And if you're talking to someone who's already been married, some of those family members, you might say, tell me about what your wedding was like. And those are times when, obviously, you're not overloaded with wedding and you feel comfortable entertaining the conversation. But they can be a way to get the focus off of you, but still allow someone else to talk about what they want to talk about. Jackie, clearly we love talking about weddings as much as everyone else in your life does. We really hope this helps and want to wish you all the best and a hearty congratulations on your coming wedding. Our next question is GoFund fatigue. And boy, we have heard a lot about this lately. Hello, I've noticed a trend of people asking for money on social media through sites such as GoFundMe, often for themselves. $2,000 for a new guard dog since they had a recent burglary, a few hundred dollars for a bachelorette party or a seminar they're interested in attending, or art supplies. I have also seen people ask for money for friends or family members in times of terrible tragedy, like a sudden health scare such as cancer or an overseas death that required expensive flights to return the remains of a loved one. In debating this with a friend, we noticed that some who make the more wish list, non-essential, non-life-changing requests often can afford the items or are spending money elsewhere on vacations or expensive clothing and accessories. Our question is three parts. One, is the personal ask gauche? Two, do the circumstances matter? And three, should their personal finances or spending habits be a factor in determining the level of appropriateness? Thank you. Go fund fatigue. Oh, go fund fatigue. This is a question that is literally ripped from the headlines right now. I was just reading an article yesterday about a, a tech startup that was misrepresenting the potential to produce a, a device that would allow you to breathe underwater as if you had fish gills. Whoa. And they had raised millions of dollars online to develop this product by representing it as close to being available and It turned out not to be true. And it sparked a a lot of discussion about how campaigns that are designed to be seed money campaigns online work. And it is an industry that is exploding right now. And it's both a really exciting time because it's democratizing in some way the process of raising capital for new ideas and new ventures. And at the same time, it the usual confidence that people have in more traditional methods of investing aren't there, aren't in place yet in the same ways or aren't as familiar or recognizable to people. And I'd like to return to the question of 
fundraising for business at, for a postscript, perhaps in a later episode. But I really want to focus our answer today on the personal ask. And is the personal ask gauche? I don't think it necessarily is, but the circumstances really do matter. People have made this kind of asks for years. They've done it in the office at local civic organizations. I'm thinking Rotary and Elks Lodges. One of the circumstances that will affect how people perceive this kind of ask is the personal finances and spending habits of the person who's doing the asking. I think it's really important to caution people not to be too judgmental, not to jump to that kind of an assessment for one of these asks, but to really look at the ask itself, look at the cause, the reason, and whether or not it's something that you could support when you're thinking about whether or not you want to do that. When thinking about how to make one of these asks well online, we talked to someone that does charitable fundraising for a large organization here in Vermont, and they take that role of charitable fundraising really seriously. And when they started to see the emergence of this type of personal fundraising or personal charitable giving happening more and more often, they really wanted to communicate some of the strategies that make charitable giving so successful for a professional who's doing that type of fundraising for an organization that's really well established. They take that ask really seriously. They think about how they're going to do it. And they ask very clearly. They talk about what it is that they're asking for money for, and they explain how that money is going to be spent. And they're prepared to be accountable for what they do with that money and how they report on what they've done with that money. They also are really personally accountable. They make an effort to show appreciation to everybody for even listening to the ask, not just for their willingness to support the cause, but for even taking seriously the the petition or the ask for money in the first place. Human attention is a gift is something we often say on the show. And whenever you're asking for someone's attention, I think that you need to be prepared to, to thank them for giving you that attention. So those are some things that are going to help make that ask um, be perceived as a responsible ask and really keep the focus on the charity or the personal cause that you're raising money for and not the inappropriate nature of your ask in the first place. And I also want to remind our listener that you can decide. You might want to take the judgment as to how they spend their personal money out of it to a certain degree. It's also up to you to decide. And if you you think what someone is asking for is frivolous or that they really do have the funds if they just took a little more time to save up, you don't have to donate. And you could say, you know, I'm terribly sorry, but, you know, it's not something I can contribute to right now. And that's it. You don't have to engage in this if you don't find it's appropriate. It's up to you to decide whether or not you'll participate. The final thought that I'd like to leave you with today is that when making an ask for any reason, that it's important not to have any expectation that people respond, that people make all kinds of decisions for all kinds of reasons, particularly financial decisions. And you just don't know why someone may or may not be contributing to a particular cause. And when you're making a personal ask, it can feel like a real rejection if people aren't helping, but you just don't know what the circumstances are. Some people really have a blanket policy. They only give to certain organizations or they have a certain percentage of their budget that they've agreed and allocated for charitable causes, and they really can't go beyond that. And it's an important discipline for them. And that can help the thank you that I talked about being so important come from a place of real genuine gratitude because there isn't necessarily an expectation that this is going to happen. This is a really tricky and complicated subject. I appreciate getting this question. It gives us a chance to look at it from a couple different angles, and I definitely hope to return to it again at some point in the future. GoFundMe, we hope that this helps as you deal with some of these asks in the future. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up, but first, a word from our sponsor. 
Our next question's titled, Dress It Up a Notch. Dear Dan and Lizzie, as a recent high school graduate, I'm making the effort this summer to connect with friends during the week. I look at these meals we share, often one-on-one, as a special time together, and enjoy dressing up a bit when we meet, especially since my part-time job requires me to wear athletic clothes many hours a week. However, I have found that my friends err much more on the side of casual, often rolling straight out of bed into the restaurant where we're having breakfast. For clarification, I'm not wearing a dress to a fast food restaurant, just a blouse and a bit of makeup to a local cafe we frequent. There is always a comment made along the lines of, I didn't know you were dressing up, or I know I look rough today, but I'm not sure if they are annoyed, offended, or simply making a comment. However, the comments always make me feel slightly awkward with their tone. I want to enjoy this time with my friends, but this situation has happened so many times with a couple of different individuals that I'm at a loss for the best course of action. Is it rude of me to dress as I normally would and do my hair and makeup if I know they are not doing the same? How should I respond to these types of comments? Should I continue to be true to myself by putting a bit of effort into my appearance? Or should I attempt to make my friends more comfortable by following their lead? Warmly, Anonymous. Oh, Anonymous, I think it's great that you take pride in your appearance. You take pride in your appearance. I love that you don't judge your friends for not doing the same. And I also think you are doing yourself a huge service because you're training yourself well for future jobs, future social situations that might be important. You know that presenting yourself well makes you feel good. And that in and of itself is a great reason to do it. I would not let your friend's awkwardness for not having dressed up or possibly even gotten dressed at all. They might be showing up in their pajamas or very casual loungewear. Um, Get in the way of what is a fabulous habit that you are cultivating right now. I truly wish that I had been more like you when I was younger. It took me a long time to really develop that pride in my everyday appearance, my go to the grocery store appearance, my, you know, just taking the dog for a walk appearance. And I have noticed that it makes a difference in my life, that I get a great response. I'm not saying that you can't show up somewhere without makeup on or without your hair done. The issue of makeup or hair isn't it. It's the pride in your appearance. Do you look presentable? Do you look like you're awake and ready for the day? And I just think it is awesome that as a recent high school senior graduate or high school graduate, that you are ahead of the game in this way. And I really want to applaud you for your efforts and say, run with them. Don't worry about your friends right now. You might even be inspiration to them. Anonymous, three cheers from everyone here at Awesome Etiquette. Our next question is is titled, I am a friend, not a time filler. And I really am glad that this question got asked because I think it does get to the heart of something interesting that happens between couples and singles who are all friends. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. The vast majority of my close friends are in relationships at various states of commitment from dating to engaged to married and for the most part living with their partner. Sometimes a friend's partner will go out of town for the weekend on business and I've noticed a pattern that makes me feel dejected and unloved. I get a call or text from my friend a few days before their significant other's departure to the tune of, John's out of town this weekend. Let's plan some fun things to do. How about yoga Saturday morning, then brunch? We could even see a movie later. I'm an individual who values quality time above all else. So the invitation to spend an entire day with a friend is a gift within itself. 
There's nothing I'd rather do more. The part that makes my heart hurt so much is that they seem to only think of me as a way to fill their now free weekend. These are not acquaintances. These are my best friends who have loving hearts and good intentions. You should see the excitement that pours out of them when they ask me to get together when their partner's out of town. I can't dismiss that, but it's hard to shake the feeling that I'm only good enough when the best option is unavailable. I feel petty bringing this up because I understand that things change as we get older, priorities shift as they should, and my friends should be spending lots of time with their partners. Am I overreacting or being too emotional, not displaying a mature level of understanding here? Please, please, please help me navigate this issue. I want to do what's right, even if it means never mentioning anything to them. Sincerely, Autumn. Autumn, I, as someone who is relatively recently married and newly in a long-term relationship, I'm taking a little note here to take my single friends and their emotional states into account when I make these kinds of plans because you are doing everything that I would ask one of my single friends to do for me. You're aware of the the genuine enthusiasm, excitement that I might have for that free moment when I'm not as committed to my spouse for a weekend, and I could reconnect with an old friend who I haven't had the opportunity to see as much of. But you're reminding me that those opportunities are where we find them and that it's really important to maintain and sustain those relationships throughout the course of a new relationship forming. And there are lots of ways that can happen. So I really want to direct my advice and answer to your question to all of those couples out there and people who are maintaining relationships with still single friends. And my advice would center around inviting those friends to do things with you and your partner and making time, carving out time in your life if the ask isn't always appropriate to do something with a partner, but really to continue to support the friends that we've made through all the different phases in our lives. I think that that um, really the, the potential rewards to be reaped are great for that kind of an investment. And you're really illustrating that with this question. I think so, too. And I think it is so healthy for couples to remember that individual time spent with friends, even if the single friend is friends with both parties of the couple, spending time with that person one-on-one or with the whole group of friends but not with your partner is really important, I believe, to a healthy partnership as well. Mm -hmm. Having those independent lives, those places where you aren't just totally dependent on your partner. I mean, let's all face it. We have those friends where the couple is a couple and they're joined at the hip and you're kind of like, guys, you know, there's a bigger, brighter world out there sometimes. <laughs> but I think that it's, I don't want to just harp on couples for that. I also want to encourage you to invite your friends to do things one-on-one. I have gotten really comfortable with some of my coupled up friends at saying, hey, I would love to get together with you this uh, Friday night or this Saturday or this Thursday or go do this thing with you. And they say, oh, let me see if John's available. I'll say, you know, I would love it if this could just be a girl's thing or, you know, I would love it if we could spend some one on one time together. It's not a bad thing to ask for. And it might be something that you do need to ask for in these friendships where maybe the couple is less aware of this dynamic that can sometimes happen. But put yourself in the driver's seat. Don't just wait for your friend to have that weekend that's available. Invite them out to do things on their own so that you guys get that time together as well. Autumn, your question just must have been so well asked because it inspired both the partnered and the single person in this room to reflect on their own behaviors. And so thank you so much for that little reminder on how to be a good friend. Every once in a while, in 
much for your questions. Please send us updates and comments. You can leave a message for us at 802-866-0860, or you can shoot us an email at awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com, or reach out to us on Twitter. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette. And every now and It's time for the Postscript segment. A few weeks ago, we asked for your help with an emerging etiquette question, one about electric vehicles. So, Hans, how did this subject come up? Well, this subject started with a question from Joe from Atlanta, Georgia. So Joe and his wife were considering purchasing an electric vehicle, but they had some questions about how it all works. So Joe wrote us and said, how are people who own an electric vehicle and charge it at public charging stations supposed to behave? Is it okay to pull the plug on another vehicle's charger if you are on the verge of running out of a charge? Do you leave a note if you do? How do you deal with someone who does not have an EV car parking in an EV-designated spot, similar to a handicapped spot? What if you need to leave your vehicle longer than the 30 minutes or four hours needed? How do you tell others, it's okay to take my plug if you're going to be away for a while? This is even further complicated because some EV charging stations cost money and you certainly don't want to inadvertently steal someone's charging time. This is such a fun question because was, it really is about new territory. I was going to say, that's a lot of questions. This is a lot of new territory to cover. And it's important to remember whenever we're talking about new technology or just some new area of etiquette, particularly one like this, that we're, we are in uncharted territory. And whenever we're operating in new etiquette territory, those principles of consideration, respect, and honesty are going to be so useful because they really are timeless and eternal and they can help us navigate. This is is definitely a new technology so resources can be scarce. So I think that's one of the reasons that we're getting questions about this particular area of etiquette because we have more and more people adopting these vehicles and the resources to support them are a limited resource currently. So you wind up with that pressured feeling of like this is a precious charging station and I, it needs to go right and if I don't have a charge my car is not going to work so the stress starts to mount. Exactly and that is counterbalanced by the fact that you're an ambassador for this new technology that's really <laughs> meant to be part of a brave new and hopefully bright and clean future. So there is a, a little bit of an extra expectation that you're part of a small community of early adopters that are going to behave well and be good ambassadors. So the first tip I would offer anybody is just to be prepared for curiosity, be prepared to answer questions, be prepared to talk about your experience, and also to prepare yourself a little patience that whenever you're in new territory, if you've um, got a, an open mind and a willingness to be patient as we all learn together, I think it's going to go a long way. I am really curious what our listeners had to say. Hans, could you clue us in? 
Absolutely. Well, to your point, we had some great ambassadors step forward and say that they were owners of electric vehicles and and had some ideas about how their community, which previously was a smaller community and more tightly knit, is now expanding and how they're dealing with it. And that they echoed that the rules have not yet really been established and it's still kind of great. But there are certain things that they did say do exist within the community and should be thought of if you're considering getting an electric vehicle. So one of the first ones was taking care of the equipment. You know, a lot of charging stations are for pay. It's getting harder and harder, our listeners say, to find free charging stations. They do exist, but they're getting harder and harder to find. And so the communal idea of taking care of this equipment, which sometimes can be left just at the end of a parking space at a store or at a park or just somewhere in a parking lot, making sure to be careful with it. So Levi, one of our listeners, said that they've noticed people unplugging and just leaving the charging cable on the ground rather than taking the time to wind it up and plug it back into the charging station and take care of that equipment and said that that's really important to do for the longevity of this technology. To the idea of unplugging others from a charging station, Levi says, I think it would be great to put a note in your car saying how long you would like to charge at a minimum so that EV owners could see that and take the plug out if necessary. So, you know, I would at least like 20 minutes of charge or 30 minutes of charge or whatever. Wouldn't you also want to leave your start time that you started charging at? That way they know. Well, how that's long a great idea. I don't know how the meters on the EV chargers work. So, yeah, that's really interesting. Levi also says that he doesn't think it's realistic to expect people to do this, though, and don't think that people will check to see if a note is written, which is an interesting right. point. They'll just assume that they're out of luck because there's a car parked there. So he says that he's never had anybody unplug his car, so he doesn't think that that's a behavior that people really are adopting. But he did say that he's wanted to do that himself when he shows up with a very low charge and he was only stopped, he says, by the fact that some cars, such as the Leaf, allow for locking the charger to your car. Oh, Jeff wrote in and said kind of the opposite of, as for paid chargers, you absolutely should not be taking the charger out of someone else's vehicle. This would be like towing a car because all of the paid street parking is full. The spot's taken. Move on. Another perspective for sure. As far as occupied charging stations go, like if you show up somewhere and there's already somebody in that space, Jeff also suggested that these stations are not meant to plug your car in and go elsewhere while your car gets a full charge over the course of many hours, even though that's how long it can take to fully charge a car sometimes. These spaces are intended to allow you to, quote unquote, top off or get a bit of charge while you're shopping at that store, but not to extend your visit. And one last point that Levi made on occupied charging stations is that there is within the community of electric vehicles a term, a special term for when non-electric vehicle owners occupy a spot that's in front of a charger and that blocks the access for someone who could actually use it, an electric vehicle owner. They call this ice boxing. <laughs> he says this could also theoretically happen if an electric vehicle parked in the same spot but opted not to use the charger. So it's not just non-electric vehicles that do this just because they couldn't find a regular spot and they have an electric vehicle. Gotcha. This is funny. I, I definitely encountered this term, um, iceboxing or getting iced. Oh, you've heard when it. I started okay. to, well, I started to do a little research because okay. Jeff and Levi raised some points that were similar to each other, and they started me down a bit of a rabbit hole <laughs> looking at electric car etiquette. And this is definitely a topic that, that people have discussed and people have written about online. And there were some, some common themes that really started to emerge. And just as Levi mentioned, taking care of the equipment was 
was a big one. And there's a safety concern here. So I really wanted to put that at the top of the list and really acknowledge that one, that both that you put the equipment away properly so that it, it stays in good condition. When you're talking about electric charges, equipment that gets frayed or starts to experience wear is potentially dangerous. The other uh, safety concern with the cord is how you leave the cord to your car, that you make an effort to have it be flat, that you don't leave an obstacle, a cord dangling across a sidewalk or something. You can imagine the various ways that that might be problematic. There's a, a traditional etiquette concept that I think really works in the electric car community is that that's first come, first serve. That there is queue etiquette, there is line etiquette, and that first come, first serve dibs on parking spots and charging stations. And that there is a bit of a concept within the electric car community that people with full electric cars have a higher priority than a hybrid car, which has a gas backup, but that the first come, first serve premise still applies. That just because you're a full electric car doesn't mean that you have priority over, can cut the line of, cut off, or unplug someone who has a hybrid. At the same time, there is an emerging courtesy, that consideration part of good etiquette, that if you do have a car that is a hybrid that does have a gas backup, or if you have a full electric car that's got the bulk of its charge and there's a limited charging resource around, that you don't occupy it if you don't need it. And there's definitely a courtesy that you leave or unplugged as soon as you're finished. That just because you have an electric car doesn't mean that you always get the best parking spot everywhere that you go and that you can use it all the time. Our listeners mentioned that and it is really important that you don't treat that spot like a reserve parking spot for you. That there are enough electric cars and people who need charging that it's really important not to hold that spot if you're not using it. And it's so easy to set a timer on your phone or your watch so that you get that reminder. We all get busy and distracted when we're at the store looking for something, but you hear that go off and you know, okay, let me just go out, move my car, and then I can come back in and finish my shopping. Absolutely. And you bring up a point that I found absolutely fascinating, which yeah. is that there's a, a suite of apps that are in really? place that are designed to help people figure out when their car is done charging to send notes to each other for the queue in the line. So there's an app called PlugShare, one called ChargePoint that's helpful for finding stations. And then there's a website called PlugIn America that actually have little signs that are available that you put on your dashboard to tell people whether your charging status is critical, whether you don't mind if someone unplugs you if, you, if you're done. These are etiquettes. They're little signs. You can purchase etiquettes for your car, (laughs) as is often the case when you're in new etiquette territory. People reinvent the oldest words and techniques, and they've started to make and produce little signs to tell each other what's expected in Uh, this new territory. Oh, that is awesome. Um, It is okay to leave a note if someone has iced you, if they have left their car at a charging spot long after they're done charging, or if they're using uh, an electric car spot not for an electric car. And the etiquette point here is that your second rude does not make it right, that your note needs to be polite, that just because you're responding to rude behavior, sometimes wildly rude and inappropriate behavior, doesn't give you permission to scold or be abusive in terms of how you communicate that to somebody, that your note is still firm but polite Mm -hmm. and respectful of someone else. So something like... um totally understand this happens all the time, but please know that you've parked in an EV spot and in the future these are reserved for cars that are able to plug in. Wanted to make you aware. Just wanted to make you aware. I love that language. Wasn't sure if you were aware that this is actually an EV spot and they are reserved for EV vehicles. Most people will appreciate that note because many communities have very large fines associated for using one of these spots and the fact that you left a note and didn't call a police or notify a business owner who might call the police to get a vehicle towed 
followed or ticketed is really a, it, it, it's, it's a step down in terms of the severity of response of all of the options that are available to you. The final thought that I wanted to mention has to do with asking for a charge somewhere that's not a station. Sometimes electric uh, vehicles need to be charged when there isn't a charging station nearby or you're in territory where there aren't as many charging stations. And in the spirit of being a good ambassador, whenever you're asking to plug in somewhere that's not used to charging electric cars, it's a a real um, strong courtesy and emerging courtesy to offer to pay for that power or to tip the establishment that helps you out in that time of need. I found this to be an absolutely fascinating (laughs) new area of etiquette. Once I started asking the question and looking around, as is so often the case, anytime people are interacting, you have etiquette, you have social expectations. And the proof, as always, is how aggrieved people are when those expectations aren't met. So if you're a new user to this community, pay attention, do the best you can, be a good new ambassador. If you're someone who's been part of this community for a long time, uh, good luck and do your best to, to bring the new users uh, on board and to communicate the standards that have emerged already in the community to those new adopters. And if you're not a part of this community, start to get familiar with it so that you know when to park and where to park so that you aren't affecting the community negatively. We really want to thank Levi and Jeff for their ambassadorship for electric vehicles. We really appreciated your response and for helping all of us know how to behave in this new and emerging area of etiquette. And whatever you do, wherever you go, you want to put your best foot forward. Every week, we like to end with a listener salute to good etiquette. And this week, we hear a salute to medical care providers. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. My name is Kelly Shipman. I'm calling from Franklin, Tennessee. My mother, Joy Scott, was diagnosed with a rare type of breast cancer, March of 2015. She fought very hard, but in January of this year, we found out that it had metastasized to her brain. She became a patient at Piedmont Hospital in Midtown, Atlanta, Georgia, and the doctors there were amazing. They came in early. They stayed late. The people that came in to clean our room were always so kind. The young men down in the cafeteria where we ate every meal while she was there always greeted us, made us feel at home, and really were a bright spot in the day. My mom's doctor, who was not at Piedmont, but who had been her oncologist for the past year, even came on her own time to visit my mom and check on her after she arrived at hospice. The biggest etiquette salute I have is for my dad, James Scott. He had been with my mom for 53 years and never complained, counted it as such a joy to take care of her. To every doctor, to every nurse, everyone who came into the room, he was always kind, checking on them, Um, and thanking them for taking care of my mom. And I count myself so fortunate to have lived with that example for 43 years. Thanks so much for listening to my salute. Bye-bye. 
Kelly, thank you so much for your salute. It is, for, first of all, we are so sorry for your loss, but at the same time, I'm so glad that the experience and the process during such a difficult time was one that that was good because you had all these supportive, wonderful people. And it's just, this is exactly what we love hearing about in the world is, is people experiencing something positive even during a difficult time. There is something so heartening about hearing people take care of each other. Thank you for sharing with us, Kelly. Well, now, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. You see what I mean about putting your best foot forward? Thank you for listening, and thank you for everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes. You can leave us a message at 802-866-0860. Send us an email at awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can reach us on Twitter. I'm at Lizzie A. Post. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. Or you can connect with us on Facebook, either via Awesome Etiquette or the Emily Post Institute. Don't forget to help us out. Subscribe on iTunes, and please leave us a review. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by Hans Buto. 